This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good evening. My name is Emily Zinn, and I'm the Associate Director of the Carsey Wolf Center, and it is my great pleasure to welcome actress Robin Weigert to the Pollock Theater to talk about her work on Deadwood. Thank you for coming, Robin. So I want to start first with talking about how you came to Deadwood as as a project. I know you were working as a stage actress, and then... um, how, what appealed to you about Deadwood? Oh, well, I, I, I just have to say there was there was really no chance I was ever going to get this part. I mean, it was it was um, I had nothing on tape. You know, I had nothing. Oh. I had no reel. I had nothing. I, I had done one Dick Wolf um, <laughs> appearance <laughs> because he guested here recently, and uh, I was this sort of traumatized witness of a gun shooting in Central Park oh. in an episode of Law and Order, and that was it. Wow. That was all I had, and um, and I had done a lot of theater, but but in Los Angeles, I don't know that that really um, gets you very far. <laughs> Typically, if that's all you've done, so I uh, I was just very lucky with this. I, I think I think the material was 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 clearly pretty great. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say this is one of the most expertly written shows. I mean, I, I didn't really even realize how rare the experience was until I stepped off of that show into <laughs> the world of just acting for television. Said, oh, and, nothing and else is written like this. It just it was so, so rare and what an amazing, essentially, first experience it was. And um, uh, uh, really uh, a gift. So, yeah. Uh, it's funny you say, you say, what made you respond to the script as if I'm an A-list actor sitting looking at all these scripts and going, I think maybe I'll <laughs> choose that one. That was not that time in my life at all. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the idea of being in a Western. So yes. much of the rest of your work has been in urban mm. and suburban settings, but this is a real classic Western in sure, a lot of ways. Yeah. So what was different about being in a Western than acting in other kinds of shows? And also, what do you think is the... Why does the Western continue to appeal to us? Well, I think this particular Western uh, is David Milch's love letter to America. I mean, it's, it's very, very specific, and it's right. very unlike other westerns, although it has some of the tropes and familiar, you know, obviously there's, there's a Wild Bill Hickok and there are all kinds of familiar things, but, um, but I think what we're seeing is how out of the soup, the chaos of a sort of lawless place, you um, sort of of necessity have to start to assemble things around a concept of law and order, right. but it's not, it's not like there's law and order first. Right. This tense relationship you saw in this episode, which was episode two, I guess that hasn't been shown to anybody watching on on that, but um, it, you know, you see, you feel a tension between the lawman and right. the saloon keeper, who's sort of the saloon keeper. This chaotic man is is the organizer of that community right. at the beginning, even though he's vicious and he's particularly vicious when we first meet him. You know, and, and he gets somewhat and he gets somewhat more civilized as as time goes on, and and of necessity because right. he's forming an alliance with a lawman um, in order to 
create a civilization where he can take people's money. <laughs> so, so really so, the idea that this is yeah. about a community sort of constituting itself, constituting figuring itself. out its rules. Yes, figuring out its rules and figuring out how essentially uh, it, it, it can function so that a version of capitalism can function. Right. right. Um, and it's an interesting take on uh, the way we might have begun. Right. Right. And so it seems like yeah. the continuing appeal in some point in in some way is that we want to keep telling ourselves these stories about Well, I think we're trying to understand what we are constantly and what we are uh, keeps changing. So, I think I think we're actually hungry for narratives right now that give us a better picture of what we are, what we've become because it's morphing, it's changing. You know, there's um, right before our eyes, our, our, right. our country's changing significantly. So, And so yeah. having Deadwood get revived in this moment is really an interesting political moment for it to come back It in, was an right? interesting time to return to it. It was the only time we possibly could return to it right. when, we, when we did the film. And I'm so, so uh, grateful it was able to happen just for the sake of closure and, and um, us finding each other again. It was a passionate, beautiful experience to come back um, and be with each other. But um, it is also an interesting time to return to the Western, to this Western. Right. Yeah. yeah. To this question of what constitutes us as a community. What con- when they're, what, yeah. 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 And of nice. course, Hearst, who had gotten to be the, he was sort of the bad guy who ran off into the sunset, who, who, who rode off into the sunset, um, which is a bit the anti-Western, right? Usually right. the hero wins. Um, and that's where the series had left off, was Hearst um, sort of won. Yeah. And in a way, Escape. even though that wasn't when the series was meant to end, what a sort of perfect ending <laughs> that the bad guy sort of won, really. Um, but then coming back and getting that just just to, <laughs> to tell him off. Right. <laughs> to tell right. him, get the hell to out. We're a community. We're a community. We love one another. Get the hell out of here. Um, you know, there was there was something cathartic about about doing it yeah which we're all kind of uh, hungry for right exactly now. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure uh-huh. <laughs> yeah excellent well coming back around to the the beginning of the project for you then so you're you were playing a character who is based on a historical figure Correct. um so what challenges were involved in playing someone who's based on a historical figure and did you do some research on the historical Jane? well or? i i love character work best of all things i mean i, I i'm not so interested in this <laughs> yeah i'm not so interested <laughs> in playing myself um so it was a treat to get to um you know dive off a cliff with her um yeah. and go somewhere very far very far, but also very, very near, because there's, there's a version of her certainly in me, which only the people very close to me probably would recognize. <laughs> um, but uh, so where I first started to find her um, was in the mirror, uh, off mm. of pictures on, online that I saw of the historical figure. Obviously, you don't see her moving around or talking. Right. But I wanted to match what I, what I saw in the still images, and I um, used various things from around my apartment to kind of conjure a look that, that would convince me. And it, and it was a, a version of making a character that was very outside in, you know, I, I started with a voice and a thing and threw things out there. And as, as the series uh, continued and there was the chance to steepen it more, I think it got more nuanced and I started to integrate uh, some of David Milch into oh. my characterization. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and I was able to do that because he, um, was, was often, um, 
creating uh, in the moment. He would he would come and 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 lines would would be created or or the scene would be worked upon with him. Um, it was very. Um, he was he was very active with us. Right. You know, he would come and milch the scene. <laughs> Whoever the director was, he would he would come and join us and um and say profound and incredible things. So you know, sometimes going back to the beginning of all time, you know, <laughs> that would that would give us deeper layers of the scenes. But anyway, he would he would portray Jane sometimes just in the process of doing that. And there were things he brought to her that I started to uh, to, to poach. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um there was a kind of pretzeling he did physically, a kind of a, a, a pretzeling around himself, and, and a way oh. that, that the hands were. And I and I found things from that little and something in the movie. Uh, you know, you want to fight about it. There, there was something, uh, a thing that he he might do. Um, I just kept finding little bits of him in in um, in her, <laughs> nice. and that was a lot of fun to to uh, keep growing it over time and and. Um, Probably elements of myself were, were finding they were in there too. I think the beauty of a series in general, if a if a um, showrunner is really um, involved that way, is that it can it can um, it can come to the actors and the actors can come to it. You know, it, it's it's a living, growing thing, and little things that you bring, little unexpected things about yourself that you might reveal will get woven in as it goes. Unlike a film script, which exists sure. before you showed up. <laughs> right? So, so in some um, ways, your Jane portrayal became more you yeah. as it went along. It became more it me. It became more, and David, more David. It became, yeah, it became more, more everything as time went on. I think she was meant to be gone by whatever it was, episode eight. Oh. Uh, I, th- I think so. I think she was meant to, to leave town, and that was that. And that just didn't happen, thank God. Um, yeah, it just kept going. So, That's really yeah. interesting. So, so you used the, his- the photographs of the historical Jane, and she was photographed a lot. Like She, she was. was a, she yeah. liked to be photographed and to... Well, I think it's also pose. how she managed to make her way in the world at a certain point. She, she made a profession of being her. You right. know, she wrote a pamphlet about her exploits uh, or had one written, whatever it was, and, and advertised herself. And I think it was a way of getting invited places and get her drinks paid for and, you know, and have much. a road show for a while with um, Buffalo Bill Cody. And, you know, she became a figure and it was partly her own doing that she became such a, such a figure. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. And this more theatrical her um, is a little bit suggested. Certainly, in the, it's in the costume um, in the movie because she hadn't obviously become that yet. She's a honking mess there, but <laughs> right. Um, you know, she rides back into town with this uh, plumage and a bit of a splash of green, and you know, she's some, a little more green color up there. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, so. I wanted to talk a little more about how um, how you think about the process of embodying Jane physically. Like, are there specific things you think about doing with your body and your voice when you um, become Jane? Hmm. It's an interesting question that I'm not sure how to answer. I mean, I think she just became that, but it's it was a a layered becoming. Like it, it right. Uh, it's funny to watch episode two. Because I see things about how I was characterizing her then that were just the beginning of it. But it, it as a matter of fact, I remember doing this episode and being in a bit of crisis about the fact that she'd 
fallen apart so completely because I had right. a, I had in my mind a version of her that was um, much tougher than that. And then letting her just sort of shatter like that, I thought, who who could she be? And there was another who could she be moment, which was when Bill Hickok died. Right. I thought, who the hell can Jane be without Bill? That's it. That's the whole, the, her whole beating heart was him. Like, who could she, she become? she keeps having to reassemble now. And so, herself. And so I did reassemble her multiple times around multiple things over the course of the series, I guess. Um, so who she is now, and, and now I'm 50, you know, that's a very different age than that was for all of us. And, um, and so there's also something about this age that I am that found its way into the character now. And this age is really a, a moment where you, you realize your life is going to be what you, dis, it's, your choices are absolutely defining. Right. And um, you either um, muster and go after that thing that you needed your life to be, or your life will t- take a, a, another turn a and, and, and you'll um, be the sadder for it. You know? But I think you recognize that everything has consequences at this age, whereas right. then you're molten and, and... Sort of flailing around. Flailing about, trying to figure out, what am I? Am I this? Am I this? Am I this? Am I this? You know? uh, this is an age of choice. Um, right. So, Which it yeah. seems like at the beginning of the movie. I mean, she's making this choice to come back into yes. town and find Joni. Right, she's... right. And I, th- I think that was very well sort of understood or observed, you know, like by the creator of the show. Uh, just, it's, it's now or never, you know. It's, right. She's either going to claim her love and, um, or she could just go down that alcoholic path and just, and just die. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, so that mm-hmm. is a place that the story departs from the historical Jane, right? That she finds She did this, die a pretty sad death. connection. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the beautiful... Contradiction in her, though, must have been to some extent true of the of the real woman, because so many people attended her funeral. Right. Um, she must have had a lot of love to give and have distributed it pretty liberally, in spite of being such a hope to die drunk. Yeah, it's just um, incredible charismatic. It, person. And I think how she was during the plague. I think that was real. I think she had no thought to herself and just. Uh, she didn't hold herself above anyone, which is which is actually allows somebody to be quite. Extraordinary, <laughs> right? Um, because she because she was so lowly in her own eyes, she could right. show up for everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. About you know Jane as caregiver in yeah. this series, I think it's really yeah. interesting. And one of my favorite moments in this particular episode is that scene at the end of it, where um, Jane and Charlie are in the wagon with Sophia, and there's. <laughs> trying to sing around to her and it's this moment of real tenderness and for me it really echoed the moment in the pilot when bill is in the wagon and he has a headache and jane is it's just melting with love right that that moment that moment where like her solicitousness and tenderness toward him which contrasts so much with her stomping around and yelling at everyone else Right. right so you can can you talk a little bit about Jane as a as a caregiver and how the series uses her moments of tenderness? Well, I mean, maybe from the people you know in your own life, certainly from the people I know in my life, it's often the tenderest people who have to build up the the toughest veneer um, right. because there's so much to protect. Um, that that little girl she's protecting here is some version of herself, you know, and and. I think it's not much of a stretch to imagine that the real Jane was pretty badly violated as a young right. child and person. I mean, she was on her own from a very young age, and and the damage is so clear and all of that. Um, 
but uh, I think I, I think her her capacity to love is both what wounds her the most and also her salvation. Um, you know, she she clearly has a big heart, <laughs> right? Um, and then you just throw a ton up in the way in the way of it, so nobody can come and hurt it. Um, right. Right. And it's that tension that that sort of makes this person, um, this character, the sort of yeah. boundaries that she's throwing. Up yeah. Yeah. Huge. Herself. You know. <laughs> don't, don't don't mess with me and it just shatters in a moment you know oh. blow her over with a feather kind of thing right yeah. right yeah. Oh. I also was wondering about the process of sort of makeup and hair and wardrobe yeah. for this character and if there were ways in which it's distinct from your other experiences in entertainment because you're normally so lovely and put together and in this you're really grubby <laughs> Was there still a big, long um, process of Janie Bryant was the costume designer, and she also did the costumes for Mad Men. And she's really uh, brilliant. You know, I think um, nobody here feels like a stock character. Uh, Nobody's costumed in a generic way. Right. Everybody's got little signature things all over, you know, in terms of how she outfits them. Um, And... uh, and and the hat was a was mm. a big one for, for, for me. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a cool hat. This one, <laughs> you know, the hat I got to ride back into town with was kind of, you know, had uh, a swishy fat. Yeah, around yeah. And, but yeah. but but this hat was too tall and had to be punched in and all of that. And at first I was like, I'm not sure that's her hat. You know, <laughs> I think she's I think she looks cooler than that. Um, and and actually it was the perfect thing for her. Uh, they're they're. There were just so many little, it's the oversized, weighted down feeling that a big, roomy uh, coat she wears. And oh, and how feel, you hooch it everything, every, every Well, time. it's always fallen off and, um, you know, it's all very hot because we shot in Santa Clarita, baking sun of summer sometimes. And, and it was a lot to contend with the heat <laughs> under all, all of that. Um, I was better off than the women who had to wear corsets, but, um, you know, right. it's like, yeah. This so. episode in particular, everyone <laughs> looks really hot. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. I, I remember what time of year we did this, but that episode, but I do, I do think it was still quite baking hot summer. Um, and when, and actually in the docks place, um, <laughs> like that little hut had to be lit from the inside and then you add to that 102 degree weather outside. Oh. Right. And so it was this tiny little incubator. Um, but that sort of sweaty, intense feeling was what also what it felt like to be dealing with sickness and death and danger. So it worked. And being um, threatened by Al Swearingen, right? I mean, sure. so this is you. You yeah. don't have a lot of um, of scenes where you overlap with him too tightly in this show. Like he's not often in the same space as you. What was it like? Playing working off with of Ian, that you mean? Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Ian is wonderful, and he's a, he's a wonderful person too. He's a great guy, um, and um, the sense of menace. I feel like it's characters like that and Tony Soprano, and uh, yes. uh, we have all collectively fallen in love with the antihero and um, current events, which suggest we may, may have fallen a little, <laughs> a little too hard for the antihero. Yes. But, um, you know, like I, th- I think that there's something so seductive about that kind of guy. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Well, in that uh, moment when you're in that small space being menaced by him, it feels like it changes your perspective on him. That you know, Jane, who we already love, he's he's hitting her trigger point the moment he steps in. You know, there's some association between him, right, for the character between him and something from her past. She just can smell it. She knows, Um, and and she had been so confident moments before that she could fend off anybody, and in in a moment she's dismantled. And I think that's. Yeah, a lot to deal with. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. It's a yeah. really intense moment in this episode. Sure, yeah. I also think this episode is great for the way it exposes Jane's relationship with Charlie Utter. So can you talk a little bit about Jane's relationship with Charlie and working with Dayton Callie? Yeah, and, he, and he's still a friend, you know. Dayton is still in my life. A lot of these people are still very much in my life. Um, but, uh, no, I think... I think the mutual love for Bill, um, mm-hmm. at least in this beginning chapter, uh, Bill Bill is so much the glue between us, and and um, Dayton's character is is you know a grumpy caretaker himself. He's he's he can't resist uh, trying to save, help, uh, <laughs> make may make him miserable, but that's his. Seems to be one of his organizing principles, you know. Um, so I guess we sort of have that in common as characters. Uh, and um, I love I love working with all of these people uh, uh, so much. Um, and the, the relationships with the between the characters are so specific. I think when we all reassembled around the table, even though I knew everybody in real life, and we had friendships and relationships in real life, sitting back down at, at the table to read the pilot together was so emotional because it was a re-encounter with the uh, characters oh, who when I you, hadn't when you seen. Back to the movie. Yeah, yes. I hadn't seen those people, even though I'd seen the people who play them right. for a dozen years. Um, and there they all were again. And uh, I feel that way about Charlie Utter. You know, he... He's Dayton, but he's also he's also Charlie, oh. <laughs> I mean, and such the heart so, of you yeah, know, in particular the yeah. movie that the whole movie centers around this tragedy of the of Bill, the, yeah, or or or, or oh Charlie's of death, the loss, oh yeah, yeah, loss no, I, of Charlie, the movie, right. yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. so yeah, excellent. So um, I'm also interested in knowing, just hypothetically, <laughs> um, you know, it seems like there are certain characters that Jane didn't interact with that much in the series. If the series had continued on, what characters would you have liked to see her interact with? Well, the the sad thing about the series having ended when it did is that um, there was so much potential all over the place. I loved getting to, for example, dip into what the relationship might be with with Alma because yeah. we're so different, but we had to we forged an alliance around the girl. Right. We almost don't even speak the same language, but there's this sort of womanly, energetic sort of reaching out across this huge <laughs> divide, behavior, class, status, everything you know. But through this caregiving, yeah, yeah, and um, and I, I, and and the scenes that were written where. There's a total disconnect in terms of the language being spoken, and yet people are finding each other. I loved, I loved those scenes, and I loved the way they were written, too. Um, there were ones with, gosh, so many. <laughs> there were so many that played like that for Jane, because she's so rough right. that she doesn't have 
a great way of sort of meeting people where they live in terms of the, the wishes there, you know, right. to speak their language, to tune in, to understand. But whenever she's hanging out with somebody, uh, it's this... <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I love the way um, she has of coming into spaces and announcing herself in this sure. way. That, like, yeah. um, you know, where she can't connect just with one individual immediately. She has to kind of make this announcement and mm. then, mm. Um, and then have the space come to her. And <laughs> yeah, no, she's a fascinating. There's a, a lot of self protection in that kind of behavior too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the one character who was. The one relationship that becomes so important in the movie and that isn't really spotlighted yet um, in this episode is the one with Joni, of course. And sure. So can you talk a little bit about the process of developing that relationship and, um, you know, working with Kim Dickens? Yeah. Well, Kim is wonderful to work with. And um, that developed kind of late. I, I, what I remember is that the seeds of it were there, mm -hmm. but there had to be a decision in the writer's room to sort of go for that. And right. then I think some scenes were, because we had the luxury at HBO with this, of sort of shooting pretty much the whole thing, and then it went on the screen, as opposed mm -hmm. to sort of it's always being churned out oh, and in front of an audience, and then you do the next one. Um, what I believe happened, and I may be remembering it wrong, is that that storyline was introduced, and then some scenes were written back into episodes that already seems to be complete, oh, okay. yeah, to, to sort of carry the, the, the through line, you know, um, and uh, how great. I mean, I don't know that many shows have that luxury, you know. Um, right. Right. So, uh, and um, Charlie is the engine of the, Charlie has a crush on Joni, <laughs> but he's the engine of bringing them together because he sees two wounded souls who, who might be able to benefit from, from each other. Um, and I do think Maybe we all connected our wounded places actually right. most most deeply, and and um, that is how they first come come together. Um, Joni's at her absolute nadir, and uh, strangely, Jane has something to offer, right? Um, and 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 just has an instinct for it. Um, you know, she thinks she's a piece of you know, uh, but. Uh, but she's going to offer what she can, and right. lo, that, lo and behold, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the past yeah. tense, she's yeah. able to offer something to Joni. Yeah, yeah. it's just such yeah. a, it's such a lovely relationship, and seeing it um, get revived in the movie was, yeah, um, was really. It sort of organizes around that, yeah. The, um... And I'm wondering too, um, having having seen the movie, I'm I'm interested in the way you approach playing a character with alcoholism mm. that I, you know, I appreciate the fact that the series never succumbed to the temptation to, you know, miraculously fix Jane to have it her. It would have been very ahistorical if they had. Sober up, right. I <laughs> yes. mean, the historical Jane did um, not. And yeah. so, you know, and right at the beginning of the movie, she's, you know, drinking again. So can you talk a little bit about the process of playing a character who has such a long standing problem with alcohol? Well, I, I I would I mean I'm maybe taking my answer in a different direction than <laughs> than you're guiding me, but I but I I, I think so much of David with this because mm -hmm. um, he spoke of addiction as a thwarted reaching out for God, which maybe may I mean I I don't know much about AA and I don't know if that's right. some kind of trope, but it felt like the words were coming from him, um, right. and uh, and I and I do think he had a pretty deep understanding of what addiction stands in for, for people, um, which is why so many 
poets and artists and, you know, people who actually deeply have a lot to offer succumb to addiction. Because it's because there's something um, passionate and thwarted um, that needs expression and it, right. it's reaching out for something, you know. But they're not, um, yeah. they're not achieving. Um, and so there's, I, I just think our showrunner, our creator, <laughs> our creator, <laughs> and maybe our creator, very, has a very compassionate view of... Um, people who suffer from addictions, and it's all over the show. Right, absolutely. I mean, it's all, all those people whose hands are shaking while they're reaching Alma for coffee. And, yeah, everyone. And, and everybody has their different ways of um, dealing with it. Um, right. Alma's very proud about it and has to be sort of do it sleight of hand. And um, the more rough characters are just balls out with it. But it, but it, it sort of seems to afflict many, many of the people in that, and maybe all the people in that world right. to some extent. Um, deal with it. And, um, and I think we deal with it as a country. I mean, I think, again, if you look at this sort of as a, as a microcosm or a little Petri dish where you can look at America, <laughs> I think we deal with it as a country. And to sort of say the, how we're all well, being... The, the promise of America supported. is so big that, there, that there's very little... I mean, the chance of our lives living up to the American dream. <laughs> so, you know, it was small even before we became an oligarchy. You know, right. it was like really small. Um, and so, so the sense of great hope, great ambition, great longing, great yearning, you know, desire to be your absolutely best self, and then the difference between that and what you really are, um, I think, drives people to drink. Right. <laughs> drives right. people to substance abuse um, at sort of epidemic proportions, right? Um, so, so there's a lot. I know that that's a big answer to a pretty... That's a great you were, answer, You were, though, you were it's asking in. me an actor question, right. and I gave you a bigger answer. But I, but I think, you know, as far as playing it, I mean, I can't... I, I have no tolerance. I have a glass of wine, and oh. the next day is uh, hard. Um, you know, so I... I, I uh, but sometimes I'd be playing these scenes for a long time, because you do shoot them much longer than they end up, and um, I would feel drunk by the end. You know, there's some power of suggestion... I'd, put it into my brain that I'd been drinking and I really started to feel like I had been to the point where driving home sometimes felt dangerous. It's weird. It was, as, it was as if my chemistry was off. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know what that is. That's a, um, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. It's another um, kind of thwarted, thwarted reaching. <laughs> something. It's something kooky about acting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, oh dear. So, um, so, as Patrice mentioned in mm-hmm. our opening, uh, we had Dick Wolf here recently. Yeah, he talked about so David cool. Milch yeah. as the as the one genius he'd met in television. So I wonder if you can talk. I know you've been talking all the way through about yeah. the process of working with Milch, but I wonder if you want to say more about what it was like to work um, with him and what you learned from that process. I, you can probably tell already hearing me tell how much love I feel for him and and. Um, I mean, uh, so genius, brilliant, and all of that is very important. <laughs> but equally important is is um, that he uh, has such a capacious um, love um, for for all of us as actors, for for the people he works with as writers. He's just uh, incredible. He'd build a family out of um, who he was working with. Always, it felt, and and. Um, and a teacher always, also. Like, there wasn't a context you could be with David where you weren't sort of like also his student, uh, felt like. 
So anybody who got to be in the writer's room had that gift. Anybody who got to work with him as an actor had that gift. And, um, and I think we were all so hungry for it on the, on the movie, too. But there was, there was a little less of David on offer just because he was, he was um, sick at the time. But, um, but you know, there just it was this like, oh, please, can we just sit at your feet some more, a little more, oh. and <laughs> get a little more of that great stuff. Um, and, it, and it would come through in these incredible bursts in the, in the film. Uh, he would come and read um, prepared uh, remarks to us at the beginning of a day's work often, and his wife, Rita, lovingly put them together into a little booklet that she oh. gave out as a cast, cast gift at the end. But, like, I remember the beginning of a day of work on the film, he quoted uh, the E. E. Cummings poem, um, uh, uh, Buffalo Bill's Defunct. Oh. Do you know that one? Who used to ride a water-smooth stallion... Kill one, two, three, four, five pigeons just like that. I think oh. I've got a little wrong. Jesus, he was a handsome man. And what I want to know is, how do you like your blue-eyed boy, Mr. Death? Oh. Right? So so these would be the kind of little little gems. Right. And you, and little you get, get you take that in your heart, and then you... And it would just do whatever work it would do. And then you would work. Right. <laughs> right? So it was... It was it, they were these little, little uh, gifts. Um, and... And it would just sort of be dropped in to your, uh, to you as an actor, and then and then you'd act, and somehow sort of it would be working inside of you. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, and uh, that was a version of what he did back when we did the series. But those he would come and just speak volubly, you know, and right. off the cuff. Um, but the same idea, he he might talk about the something in the Bible, or he might you know talk about some poetry or. Um, Robert Penn Warren was a favorite professor of his, right. uh, and so there might be some beautiful offering from Robert Penn Warren that would start the day. You know, so just I setting just, the expectation that you would translate just, that into your work. Then, yeah, and, and I don't even—I I wouldn't bar. even call it an expectation. It was just sort of like, here you go, <laughs> and then, and then the work would would somehow um, take on a life because of that. And watching this again after so long—I haven't seen this in so long—the sense of a cohesive world is so there to me. Like, everybody was doing their beautiful separate work, but, like, it's very much a place where people... They're all in the same world. All those people up there are in the same right. world. And, um, you know, that was director by director, so, you know, shows do develop their own tone, and then directors will come in and direct episode by episode and give their little um, uh, spin on it. Right, their own flair. Right? Sure. Their flavor. This was Davis Guggenheim, um, uh, which is... You know, he went on to, to do some other kind of work. Uh, yes. pretty, but um, but David would always pull it back to some essential set of things that I think made the show feel so of a piece. Right. Right. No. So no matter which director came in, there was a quality where he would take it and and bring it to a certain essence that was David. <laughs> um, and creating right? that connective tissue among there, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I'm saying it well, but yeah, he would... Some some piece of him was in every single thing. Um, so... Uh, and uh, and people... And, and directors would come and, and sort of rise to the occasion, but they would also step aside, and David would come and speak, and then they would step back in again. Wow. <laughs> you know? Um, it was like that. Um, so... That's that just sounds like a fascinating experience, yeah. especially as a yeah an early experience in this form for you, and yeah. so unique that I, I sort of then expected it of my next showrunner, who wasn't you know like that at all. Um, just 
just just his whole way of being. He was off doing his writing, and directors would come in and direct. And I was like, "Where is he? <laughs> Why isn't he here telling us?" <laughs> Where's you know? the nothing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. oh, that's um, so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well. So before we turn to questions sure. from the audience, I wanted to be sure to be able to ask you mm. about some of the most recent work you've sure. been doing, which is as a director. So oh, can oh, you yeah. talk a little bit about um, the short film that you have oh, okay. just directed? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's been some interesting um, other acting work too, right? That, that, you know, but this, but this short was um, was a uh, like I, I loved the experience on Big Little Lies. That was also, you know. In a very different way, comparably super interesting. Um, right. But, right. But um, the. Well, okay. Uh, yeah. Let's do the big little lies no, but no, we first. We don't have to do it first. Okay. I, can, I can talk about the film. Well, then ask I, someone in the um, audience, ask about big little lies. No, you don't have to. <laughs> I, but the, but the short, <laughs> I made a New Year's resolution um, at the beginning of last year that I wanted to try on being a leader <laughs> rather than a follower because. Um, there's something beautiful about being an actor and sort of being a vessel for all these things, to suggestions to come in and then you just manifest them or whatever. But, but I wanted to see what it would be like to take the reins of something. And, and all, more and more, actually, as I get older, I, I, I start to have directorial thoughts, impulses, mm-hmm. um, sometimes have to bite my tongue, you know. Uh, and, uh, and so I thought, let's see what it feels like. Um, and, of course, it's not... a a totally representative, like doing a short, you're putting together everything on such a shoestring budget and you're doing it quickly and the crew probably hasn't worked together before. And um, so, so you're dealing with maybe more obstacles than you would if you had a well-oiled machine, you know, your team. Um, But even that is super useful. Um, One of the best leadership lessons I learned was when to totally hand it over to the more experienced DP and say, how do we solve this? Wow. Because it was a, I had planned maybe three or four times more shots than we had time for. I mean, it just, there was no question. So at a certain point I was reduced to saying, okay, you know, the sun <laughs> is setting. We have to get all of this stuff that I had planned for these five angles in this one angle. So where do we put the camera? You know, wow. like, like, and, and how, you know, like I just had to hand it over a couple of times. Um, or can we do this with handheld or what? You know, like just stuff. Um, it so was an a, essential part of leadership is knowing when to hand when it to over delegate to... responsibility and when to be humble enough to say I have no clue, and, and which, is, which is why I so love Elizabeth Warren. But anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, uh, not to not to get political, but um, but yeah, is to, to be able to say, you know, you may know better. Um, what do you have to say about that? I'm listening. I'm, lis- I'm listening expertise. to you. Yeah, I'm listening to you. Um, because I recognize things about myself and things about you that, um, but, um, so that was, that was really very humbling and, 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 and cool. Um, and I, I love being able to have those conversations that you have with designer and with, um, you know, costume designer, designer and, and enter into it through their lens and see, um, how they were looking at it and come up with a vocabulary. The hardest part for me was talking with the composer of the score Hmm. because music is so ineffable and, 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 you know, how to find language to say what I hoped the music would lift up and out in the story. And then the passing back and forth, he'd give me a scored version. I'd say, Oh, I'm feeling it's a little horror movie ish. Like what, you know, how do we, uh, what it, what it really is is he's feeling afraid. We shouldn't be afraid of him. Like, how do I, you know, like the, the, that kind of conversation 
it's just it was all so interesting and um, and learning a new language in learning some ways. yes yeah. yeah and and hopefully thinking okay next time I can apply some of this better because um, it was very first timey um, and stuff like you know going on instinct. I wasn't always tempted to start with the wide and move in. I was happy to hear Jay um, Roach here say he doesn't always start <laughs> start with the wide. So that I'm breaking every rule of, but um, of filmmaking. But uh, sometimes I I knew I would just want to be in, you right. know, um, and that there was more intrigue in just being in, and we didn't need to know where we were in space and time. Um, anyway, it was it was a wonderful first plunge um, and. I'm actually into re-editing it now. I, oh. I had done a pass with a, an editor. Ah, the, who you collaborate with is so important. And I'd done a pass with an editor who's brilliant and who I couldn't totally bridge the gap in communication with. It was right. just... And, and I've just started working a little bit with another editor who I'm like, oh, I think we actually speak the same language. Oh, and right. is, you know, so, um, but I'm not casting aspersions on anyone. I mean, right. she was extraordinary. But like, it just... Um, that, if I ever direct again, would be, um, I understand why directors accrue people that they work with over and over. Once your visions uh, are aligned. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Uh, So is it an experience you want to have again? Are you interested in directing again? I, I, I think so. I think that I, um, uh, would be interested in, 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 trying to really totally create something. I mean, you know, see what it would be like, like, like even more. Um, but to, to totally create um, some, something from scratch would be really interesting, um, which I didn't do in this, in this case. So that's sort of the next challenge, you know. So, Excellent. Yeah, well, we yeah. can't wait to Thank you. See, what, <laughs> see what turns up. Thank you. So yeah. we have some time for some questions mm-hmm. from the audience. Uh, so you had mentioned uh, earlier on the beauty of sort of working in a serial uh, medium in terms of television where you get to kind of connect with the character. Yeah. Um, and especially at HBO where there's that freedom. Yeah. Um, is there... I was just curious about the connection there with your stage work from mm-hmm. earlier on where you're sort of doing the same thing over and over Right. Is that another medium where you're able to connect with that character in a way, or is it completely different because it's you're not moving forward at all? I was just curious about that connection. I, I theater used to be what I sort of lived for. I mean, really, and um, I wish this wasn't true, but I've a little fallen out of love with it. I, 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 I hope I fall back in love with it again. Um, but uh, I, th- I think it started to feel like certainly in New York, like people were, were going because they'd read the review and, and of something, and it was like ticking off the boxes, like, oh, I saw that hit show, you know, and it, what, I, I wasn't feeling the, the sense of visceral connection that I would, would have wished that made theater feel so alive to me. Um, and as an audience member, I'm always looking for that, too. When I go to see plays, I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, is this really connecting with us? Are we really connecting with this um, is it really feeling alive in here? Um, or is it feeling like this thing has been lauded and the audience is coming because they're coming to a cultural event and mm. they've spent a ton of money and they want it to be worth it so they're laughing really loud and they're, you know, it's, it, and it, is it actually happening? There, I just have always had this real desire to connect. Um, and 
weirdly, because television was always being turned off in my household growing up, like it was as if it was like, you know, the enemy of thought. Um, <laughs> my dad would come in and off it would go. Um, but, but I do feel like certain shows are really connecting. Um, mm. Who knew, right, that this medium would sort of evolve into something like this? But um, like, like when that's happening, I'm very excited by television. Um, when it happens in a movie, I'm very excited by a movie. Uh, I'm just looking for it wherever it is, a feeling that, that it can wake people up, um, which is, I think, what it's for. I mean, some of it's to put people to sleep, but I think, I think it's to wake people up. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's not really an answer to your question, is it? <laughs> but, yeah. So, and then we all have to make a living too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Can you see me? I can see you. Um, thank you for being here. And I'm going to ask the Big Little Eyes question. Sure. Okay. Thank um, you. So, you talked about you know kind of exploring alcoholism or alcohol dependency, mm-hmm. um, and then in Big Little Eyes you get to explore domestic abuse, domestic violence, and your role is. Um, so challenging. I remember mm-hmm. watching it, and there's just these moments where I don't know if you, you're so restrained, and I think you're trying to be this mirror, and you're trying to push her and encourage her to see kind of the toxicity of the relationship, but you have such a tenderness and a patience. Um, I just wonder what that was like for you, if it felt frustrating. There was times watching it where I wanted to be like, tell her to leave him, and you do in your own way, but I mean, you really help her. That's therapy. <laughs> yeah, no, but, um, but you did a great job of kind of portraying that in this very reserved um, mm. and compassionate way, and I just wonder if you could comment on that and how that related maybe to the experience of um, experiencing Jane and kind of going through that journey, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, there You've got this very polar opposite extremes of (laughs) something, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. um, Well, what was so beautiful there was that it it really felt like something was happening uh, uh, in the room, like like, uh, um, and I, for whatever reason, was taking very seriously the the therapist's charge of like, you know, don't um, uh, trigger a. fight or flight reaction, you know, let, let's stay with her here in this delicate space. And, and you could feel how volcanic it was for her. So it was less restraint than trying to sort of manage, in a way, the objective, right, which is to bring her to a place where she can extricate herself. Um, and especially in the first season, there's really this sense that she's, she's walking a very, uh, in a way even for her, dangerous line. She's, she's with a very intelligent woman who's a lawyer and who understands, you know, that there's places that I could go that, that would maybe be, be breaking my own oath. <laughs> um, but at a certain point, when there's real danger to the patient, a, a, a doctor does need to um, cross that line, you know, um, and sizing up how real that danger is is part of the job, too, Right, even in terms of informing other people of things that are supposed to be secret, if there's real danger, you're, it's incumbent upon you to do that too. Right, so so um, the fact that she's walking that line is part of what makes those scenes very taut and interesting, even though there is restraint, as you say. Um, and uh, Nicole is wonderful to to work with. It was fun to work with her again in Bombshell in a very different. Uh, pair of roles. I mean, in a way, I'm helping her again, but but um, this lawyer, Nancy Erica Smith, that I got to play, um, 
is so is so very different than that than that therapist. She's sort of a cheerful warrior um, who uh, uh, you know is is uh, you know do I do I want to take on this this client? Are we going to win this battle? Okay, all right, we can do. You know, it's it's um, the confidence of her is kind of great, but um, she was very very different. And I felt very, very different. And even our way of working was very different. Hmm. And it was wonderful to have that with the same actress. We could actually talk between scenes on that one. Whereas in Big Little Lies, we never broke character, really. It's like, it like between takes, she would often sort of pace and look, you know, stare me down or whatever. It was just staying inside the, the, the roles. Um, and managing that tension um, was awesome. So... Um, and, and um, yeah, I'd love to work with her again. I mean, I think she's just a very interesting actress. So that was a gift. Um, and um, Jean-Marc Vallée was very interesting as a director. Uh, and that's so much a part of an experience as well. So there's so many aspects to it, right? It's not what you do. It's what's happening. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah. please join me in thanking Robin Weiger for such a fascinating evening. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.